the world's greatest crime. In Psalm 19, reading from verse 1. Psalm 19, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Now we're all familiar with those verses, and they're simply saying that when we look at God's created works, we can see some aspect of the glory of God. It is not a perfect revelation, but because God leaves His fingerprint in everything that He does, if a person honestly looks into the heavens or in the world around him or her, that person will see evidence of the power and the greatness of God. Now Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 1. Verse 19, Paul says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. Now the word manifest there means it is evident. That which may be known of God is manifest in them. It is evident, for God hath shown it unto them. Now verse 20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Notice the word clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know what the expression without excuse means? No one in the judgment can tell God, I did not know or I had insufficient evidence to inform me of your presence and not merely your presence, but your role in the universe so that they are without excuse. So we have the created world. Psalm 8, reading from verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? The psalmist considers the heavens. The works of God's fingers, His handiwork. In God's handiwork, I repeat, we see evidences of God's greatness, of His divinity, of His love for design, His love for beauty, His love for organization, His attention to microscopic detail. But I say again that this is not the clearest revelation of God. For no matter how you look at a flower, it does not tell you that the wages of sin is death. No matter how you look at a flower, it does not tell you except you forgive, you will not be forgiven. No matter how hard you look at the sky, the sky does not tell you that God requires six days of work and one day of rest. So it is not a perfect and a full revelation. Then God had a people called the Israelites. And God committed to the Israelites His oracles, His law, and vast instruction for how they should live every facet and department of their lives. But you and I know so well that the Israelites failed God almost without interruption. And that which God sought to reveal through them, He was unable to do because the Israelites never trusted Him and seldom obeyed Him to the T or to the letter. And so God's message through the Israelites, which should have been for that time, the clearest revelation of God's character and His love, it did not come to pass. Not because of God's fault, but because the fault was in the Israelites. It's like what Paul says in Romans 8. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. There's nothing really weak about the law. The problem is the sinful flesh. Then God sent Jesus Christ. 
And in Jesus, the world finally saw a perfect revelation of the character of the Father. And we're talking about the world's greatest crime, 22 minutes after 12. In Jesus Christ, they saw a perfect, flawless revealing of the love, the majesty, the divinity, yea, the power of the Father who sent His Son. And Jesus could say in John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have bought, brought renown to your name. I have brought some measure of understanding to who you are. And I have painted you in the finest colors possible. Then Jesus went back to heaven. And he left a group of people whose solemn responsibility it was to reveal through the power of Christ, to reveal in their lives the very character of Jesus Christ. And those are whom we call Christians, those who have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. They were supposed to be the, 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 the deposit of the, the, the containers, the reflectors of God's character. So that as nature gave a partial revelation, as the Israelites gave almost no revelation whatsoever, as Jesus gave a perfect revelation of who God was, God's children today through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit are to give a perfect revelation of the character of Jesus Christ. And I did not make a mistake when I used the word perfect. Let us take a look at what happens when God's specially called people fail to do this and the tremendous risk that they put the observer, the onlooker, the world at. Tremendous risk. In Genesis chapter 12, reading from verse 10, Genesis 12 verse 10, the Bible says, this is Abraham's life we're examining. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife. And they shall kill me, but they shall save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. That it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now Abraham concocts a story to save his own skin. He had forgotten that God who brought him out would have preserved him and protected him. The Bible says, And it came to pass that when Abraham was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Verse 16 of Genesis 12 tells us, And he entreated Abraham well, or Abram well, for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Verse 17 the Bible says, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done to me? 
Let me repeat that question. What is this? Now, Pharaoh is not a child of God. He is not a believer in the creator of heaven and earth. He is a pagan. He is an idolater. He worships all kinds of gods. The hippopotamus was a god. The dog, the cat, the, the, the hyena, the, 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 the hawk. That was the system in which Pharaoh operated. That was his religion. He is talking to a man who in scripture represents God himself. He is talking to the father of the faithful. He is talking to the head of the specially chosen race. And Pharaoh says to Abraham, What is this that thou hast done to me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou, she is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Pharaoh is saying, Abraham, you have put me in a very dangerous position. What is it that you, this child of God, are doing to me? What is it that thou hast done to me? Let me ask you a question, don't answer me. In our individual lives, do we give people reason to say, what is it you are doing to me? Do we not understand that God depends on us? Will he depend interminably? I cannot say. But he depends on us for a revelation of who he is. And people have a right to look and expect a correct, reliable, precise revelation of who Jesus Christ is by looking at us. Now for those of you who are not Seventh-day Adventists, let me tell you that the Seventh-day Adventist church believes officially. And the word officially may not mean anything, but they believe officially that we are God's prophetic people raised up to proclaim a certain message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that places his law at the center of the gospel, that unites Jesus Christ to his law, that places a premium on health as an expression of the gospel. We believe we were raised to preach that message. Officially. When the world looks at Seventh-day Adventists, is that what they get? Don't answer me, please. Is that what they get? Has the world justification to say to us, What is it that thou hast done to me? I have been misled. You claim this and you claim that in your written information, but in your practice, I saw something else. Do they have a pharaonic right to say, what is this that thou hast done to me? There are children in the judgment who will say to their parents, what is it that thou hast done to me? Why did you let me spend so many hours in front of a television set? Why didn't you tell me that the information that goes into my head, my brain takes on the shape of that information? And I can rise no higher in my thinking than that which I feed my brain. Why didn't you tell me what is it that thou hast done unto me? World's greatest crime, leading people astray. Professing one thing, Doing something else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.8, The trumpet give an uncertain sound. Who shall prepare himself to the battle? Is our trumpet giving a certain sound? 
Abraham, the believer, put Pharaoh's life at risk. That wasn't the only time. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. We've read that passage before. Abraham is living in the land of the Philistines. He puts out the word that Sarah is his sister. Genesis 20 verse 2. Abimelech takes the woman because he feels he has a right to take a man's sister, not a man's wife. God comes to him in a dream, verse 3, and tells him, You're a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she's a man's wife. Abimelech says in verse 4, Listen, Lord, don't slay a righteous nation. I didn't know. And he claims integrity of his action in verse 5. I didn't know. And he didn't. And in verse 6, God acknowledges that he acted in ignorance. Then God informs him in verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he's a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Now, verse 8, is where our excitement begins. Then Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham. He called him and said unto him, What hast thou done? unto us twice in Abraham's life a monarch a king representing an entire people is at risk because of Abraham's faithlessness because of Abraham's misrepresentation of his God Abimelech says what hast thou done unto us and what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. What have I done to you that justified your putting me in mortal danger? What has the world done to us that we are punishing them by giving them a false view of who we truly are? A crime against humanity. To mislead people about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ cannot come down and preach personally. He is occupied in the holy place, the most holy place. The Father can't come. We are the chosen instruments for the proclamation of the word of God and for the revelation of the character of Christ. We must not give the world reason to say, what is this? that thou hast done unto me, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me, and on my kingdom a great sin. And Abimelech concludes his remarks in verse 9 of Genesis 20, thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. Abraham, you shouldn't do things like this. It should be beneath you and beyond you. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And it hurt Abimelech so deeply, he repeats the question in verse 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Abimelech, tell me. Abraham, Abimelech says, Tell me. What did you see that led you to put my nation in mortal danger? What did you see? What is there to bite me you don't like? Loma Linda, can this city say to Loma Linda, what is this thou hast done unto me? I only ask, I want to escape from this place alive. So I only ask, I don't know, I don't live here. I'm not fond of earthquakes, that's one of the reasons why 
Don't find me on the West Coast. Came for sunshine, got unending rain. My question is, can the city of Loma Linda, what are the nearby cities? Riverside, um, Pomona, where is it? Colton, Laguna Beach, Redondo Beach, El Segundo. Can they say, what is this that thou hast done unto me? And I must harp on it until I get the impression it has sunk in. We do things to people by saying one thing and doing something else. And they have a right to cry out and complain to God. Your people have misled me. What is this that thou hast done unto me? Boyfriends, what are you doing to that girl? Is your relationship with her drawing her closer to Christ? Has she a right to say to you, you're the spiritual leader of this relationship. What is it that thou hast done and art doing to me? Preachers, do you have the courage to preach the truth at risk of life and limb so that no one can say, what is it that thou hast done unto me? Why did you water down the message and leave me confused? Why did you give it to me straight? Genesis chapter 26, like father, like son. Reading from verse 1. The Bible says, and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I will tell thee of. Sojourn in this land. I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply of the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now, he's in the land of the Philistines as his father was in Genesis chapter 20. Verse 7, Genesis 26, the Bible says, And the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, What? She is my sister. Now that's three times that the Bible records. Let me show you something. Let's go back to Genesis 20. When Abraham was trying to explain, he gave a sheepish explanation. When Abimelech said, what hast thou done unto me? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Here's what Abraham said. Verse 11, Abraham said, because I said, surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Next verse he says, and yet indeed, she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Now the next verse, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Every stop we make, Abraham said. Now listen, Abraham is the father of the faithful. He grew out of that. He's God's friend, don't forget that. But the Bible includes the dark side of God's people for a reason. That we may learn what to avoid. 
Abraham said, I said to her, this is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place without exception, whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Well, we learned that people inherit not only physical characteristics from their parents, but attitudes as well. And so Isaac does the same thing. And so we go back to Genesis 26, verse 7, the Bible says, And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say she is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Same problem Abraham had. Verse 8. came to pass when he had been there a long time, that behold, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, of a sure, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. How saidest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done to us? He asked the question again, three times between Abraham and Isaac, the heathen, the unbeliever, the world is asking, what are you children of God doing to me? A crime against humanity. Don't we not understand? Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. He did not say to the disciples, ye are. And that group is, and that group is, he pointed at the disciples exclusively and said, Ye are the light of the world. He split the world into two groups, the disciples and the world. The world has no light. The disciples have all the light. You know I like amens, even if I beg for them. I said, the disciples have all the light. Mm -hmm. All the light. He are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, have we lost our savor? It is thenceforth good for what? Nothing but to be what? Cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. If the salt hath lost his savor, you and I as individuals must ask, as a Seventh-day Adventist, have I lost my prophetic savor? And if that be the case, I ought to leave, change my claim, adjust that which I describe myself to be. Because God prefers you cold than lukewarm. A crime against humanity, 19 minutes to 1. We have 9 minutes to go, and I'll let you go at 10 to 1. My brothers and my sisters, this thing weighs heavily on my heart. I pass no judgment because I cannot read your heart, and I am so grateful you cannot read mine. But a little honesty is not harmful to the spiritual constitution. A little self-confrontation you know the ugliest sight in the world is to see yourself it is so frightening we have a natural aversion to seeing ourselves for who we really are but there's nothing more calculated if we will be a little honest to put us on the road to change by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ when we see 
who we are as opposed to who we think we are. We change to make a name for ourselves. And tonight, let me tell you, I have something else to say about this subject. I did not have the time today to say. And it's a very serious concept. But for today, I just want to leave you with the question. Does anyone have cause to say to you, what is this that thou hast done to me? And I ask you from my heart, with no attempt to judge, as you and I look at our lives, are our lives consistent with this? Are our lives consistent with the special revelation that the good Lord has graciously given us through the writings of Ellen White? You know, crimes against humanity are being prosecuted now in The Hague, the world court. This fellow Milosevic is one who is on trial. They bring up others. People in Rwanda have been tried. They probably try to try Saddam Hussein. Crimes against humanity. Let me tell you, the worst crime against humanity is to mislead a person right down to hell. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verses 23-24, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, by breaking the law dishonorest thou God, let me modernize that. You Seventh-day Adventists who say you have the truth, by living contrary to the truth, are you embarrassing God? Verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the heathen through you, as it is written. Let me close on this point. God cannot have a bad name unless we give it to him. Are you listening to me? God's good name is in our hands. Our good name is in God's hands. But when we set out to establish our name, which is not our business, we will go contrary to the will and the leading of God. Because our business is to establish God's name. And God's business is to establish our name. We cannot switch responsibilities. And this is the theme I shall enlarge tonight. Anytime a man sets out to make a name for himself, he comes into conflict with God. Because that is not your calling and mine. If you chose medicine just to have a name, wrong reason. If you chose basket weaving to have a name, wrong reason. And God's people so often go astray in an attempt to establish a name. And it brings God's name into disrepute. I pray from my heart that if any one of us feels that the messages, the message delivered today has in some way crushed our toes, that we would search our hearts and say, Lord, it is one thing if I go to hell myself. It is something else for me to take people with me. What is it 
that thou hast done unto me. In the kingdom, let it be our desire now that in the kingdom we will hear people say, thank you for what you did to me. Thank you for being faithful to what you believe because your faithfulness had an effect on me and I changed my life by the grace of God. Thank you for standing up when all your friends deserted you. Thank you for holding to the principles when everyone else left them. Thank you. I am in the kingdom because of your faithfulness to God. Don't stand on the walls of Zion because you and I confessed five minutes before we dropped dead. And we see people in the flames pointing at us and saying, wait a minute. Why are you there? And I am here. And I know how you lived. Something's not right. Let that not be our experience. And so I call upon you in the name of Jesus Christ. 13 minutes to one. Any man or woman listening to me. Independently. Forget who's next to you. Will say, Lord... By your grace, let me so live that my influence and my faithfulness points people to heaven, not to hell. Raise your right hand. Stand up. We must not be guilty of crimes against humanity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Loving Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we claim no perfection. We claim nothing at all but a need for Christ. Father, we read the example of Abraham, our spiritual father. Your word says, if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. We are his seed, Father. And we do not deny it. But Father, we do not want to have people say to us, what is it that thou hast done unto me? Father, forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us, Lord, for not being faithful to the standards you have so graciously committed to our care. Forgive us, Father, for saying one thing and living another. Forgive us for endangering the eternal salvation of those who watch us. Forgive us, dear God, we pray. And in the name of Jesus and for his sake, I ask you, Father, to give us a sense of spiritual decency. That what we say is what we do. We will have the courage to be either hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Grant us your spirit. Grant us your spirit, I pray. Now bless your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters. Take them to their responsibilities. Bring them back tonight, I pray. And I thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you.